0: Yes, the Puget Sound podcast where we're talking to members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and today my guest is Julian Beganski, a senior from Long Lake, Minnesota. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Julian. Julian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: My pleasure. I want to start things off by really situating ourselves temporally. You're right at the start of your senior year. I imagine it looks and feels a little different than the senior year of college. How are you feeling about it? What are you excited for? How does it feel to be here? Is it exciting? Is it anxiety making? Where are you at?
1: I would say all of the above, to be honest. <laughs> exactly, as you said. Um, I've just been trying to expect the unexpected with the senior year. Um, so for those listening, uh, as I'm sure you can guess, we have been moved to online learning for this uh, fall semester here of my last year. So um, it means quite a few big changes. Um, first off, obviously, I won't be seeing any of my classmates in person. I won't be seeing any of my favorite professors that I've been waiting to have this past senior year in person. So I think that's a a difficult change. Um, But at the same time, it also hasn't really affected my education as much as I thought it would, because I think I am fortunate in that this is my last year here. So the professors, I've had them for so many classes before. The people in my classes, I've had them in plenty of classes before. Um, So it's actually made it fun at times, which has been really great. And I think we kind of learned from that last semester with the quick transition. And there's all kinds of banter going on in the chat of all of our classes, which I think is always great. Um, So yeah, I think my mentality is always just to make the best of the situation I'm in. And I'm I'm fortunate to be living in Tacoma at an off-campus house with a great group of my friends. Um, And so we're all just uh, kind of living through the chaos together, which um, I think is fun in its own way. Um, and it certainly is a unique experience to have. And, uh, it'll certainly give us good stories to tell uh, in the future. So yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good though.
0: What do you feel like, because I've spent a lot of time this spring as everybody adjusted to Corona world talking about what we lost, right? The stuff that we don't get to do or the things that feel different. What do you feel like stayed the same in your education in terms of switching to online learning? Or, you know, is the dynamic in a given classroom still the same as the same person late every day? Like what held serve?
1: Um, I think that was a fun part is that everything stayed so similar. So the student that was always late was still late to online learning, which was really hilarious. Um, only difference is that you can't really shut the virtual door on the class as you can in person. So some students would still show up a few minutes late. Um, But, you know, I think the professors that did more traditional lecture style were fortunate in that it's easy to continue a traditional lecture style online. Um, Whereas I think the the conversation-based learning definitely took some time to learn and to adjust. Um, But I think that learning happened very quickly. So day one of online learning, we wanted to have a class discussion And we learned that Google has a function where it'll actually basically automatically mute anyone but the main person that's talking. So when everyone tries to talk, you just see a lot of mouths moving, but not a lot of voices coming out. Um, So then we learned to make breakout rooms and things like that. Um, So that has been good. And then what I've actually heard from a lot of students is that it's been really helpful to kind of learn what professional meetings will be like in the future as well, because realistically, workplaces, companies like Amazon are, uh, going to be virtual through 2021 even. So for us seniors, it's a very real possibility that whatever job we enter is going to be virtual. Um, so again, that's kind of us trying to see silver lining of a situation like, Hey, we can actually learn something from this, uh, rather than just be miserable about miserable about our circumstances. But, um, I think I also really got to give it to the professors that they tackled online learning head on. Um, I think it would have been easy to kind of put it aside and say, hey, here are the readings, here are the essays for the rest of the semester. You know what to do. Um, But they really still embraced the the learning environment that is so important to their class.
0: That point about career preparation is so striking to me. I haven't heard anybody say that before, but it makes total sense. One thing I'm wondering about too is because you're a double major in business leadership and economics, does that feel maybe more relevant or more direct to you or most of the careers that you would see yourself or your peers going into the kinds of things that are likely to to be remote longer? Or are you more thinking this is the way the world is wherever I land, it's going to involve some element of this?
1: Um, I think it's uh, certainly because I am in the business leadership program and studying econ that I'm certainly more career focused, especially at the beginning of my senior year. And with the careers that myself and my classmates are looking at, uh, I'm I'm part of the investment club here on campus. And so I'm friends with a lot of the finance geeks. And so we're constantly following that and following that job market specifically. Um, And I have friends who were lucky enough to still keep internships this summer, um most of them were canceled and any of the ones that were left were put online so they were already thrown into it right away with just an internship. So if internships are online then most definitely um any kind of real career will be online. Um but then also for myself um I'm also a coordinator in the admissions office so I'm in charge of our wonderful team of tour guides. Um and I was part of our summer staff and we had to completely redo what we um, normally consider a Summer workload in the admissions office. Um, So there was no in person tours going on. There was no in person information sessions. Uh, We just built this brand new admissions facility and no one was using it. So we had to really work around all those different obstacles, Um, which uh, I think was kind of rewarding in its own right. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here now, but um, in the admissions process, um, I think we sometimes, uh, or at least I should say from my own experience, I went to uh, a very nice uh, private school. My parents, both highly educated. They really value education. um, And they would do anything, ship me anywhere that I wanted to go to see any schools, which I was extremely fortunate. And I definitely don't thank them enough for that. Um, But there's a lot of people that don't have that same opportunity. And there's a lot of schools that don't have college counselors going to visit them because there's only so many schools that they can reach to. But suddenly when everything was switched online, all the tours were put online, all the info sessions were put online and we were suddenly seeing a reach to the East coast. Like we've never seen before being here on the West coast. It's it's pretty unrealistic to be able to hop on a plane just to go for a like hour and a half tour and uh, info session as much as we would love them to come to campus. But I think to be able to put power into students' hands and let them decide where they want to see, and they can just click on a button to go see it rather than having to spend so much money. I think that has been really rewarding to see um, how much more open we can be and accessible, accessible is the word I was looking for, um, to students across the world um, and across the U.S. just because we were switched to online. Um, But then when all the other schools were switching online, you kind of see the other side of the, the puzzle there, which is that internet uh, uh, isn't accessible to everyone. (laughs) Um, So you heard with so many schools closing, it was a big issue with being able to find safe housing for people and reliable internet for people to suddenly switch online. Um, So it's been very interesting and it it definitely causes you to think uh, reading about how all these different schools are handling online and how different businesses are handling online and uh, with being in a pandemic, then there's the economic side of things of who's even going to be hiring back to the job question. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a lot.
0: <laughs> well, and you're making a really interesting point, too, about what we might retain even once this is over, because the social experiment component of this moment is not something... I mean, it's hard for me to think how we could have ever had anything remotely approaching this experience any other way. And so to wonder about, okay... What are we going to take with us at the end of this? To your point about admission and tours and info sessions, you know, I think almost certainly we will keep. Emma should make her own determination, but it seems likely to me that we'll keep some amount of that, right? To, for exactly the point you just made, there's an accessibility component, especially now that we have this infrastructure built out to, you know, not just students from the East Coast but also international students who are suddenly able to engage with the university in a way that just maybe was not practical before, was not feasible before. Um, and I know there's a lot of students out there who would like to come visit in person too, and certainly we would like that also. We would like to return to that, because I get it that you can only go on so many Zoom tours before they all start to sound the same. Um, yeah. To do some kind of, hy- I mean, hybrid is now such a buzzword, but to <laughs> sort of hybrid, situation once we're past the acute need feels to me like it's really going to shift the industry and I imagine there are a lot of people in a lot of different industries right now having those same conversations and feeling the same way
1: oh I mean there's companies popping up left and right trying to engage with campuses in a virtual way um Just on my LinkedIn, it says that I'm a student admissions coordinator, which doesn't really reveal much about what I actually do. But I can show you, I have like seven or eight different direct messages from people from like, oh, I'm from this virtual campus company, or I do uh, VR for campus, and I can make you a tour. I can do all these different programs. Um, So it's been interesting how, um, of course, the industry has reacted to being online and they want to push further. But um, I think what's been interesting is that you know, every campus has on their website, you can go take a virtual 360 tour, but to add a human interaction to that, even if it's through Zoom, I think just makes those experiences so much more meaningful. Um, and it's been interesting to see that the depth of a connection that you can still make, even if it just, just is over a uh, virtual format. We, um, do these uh, information sessions, or sorry, tours, excuse me, um, that we call My Life as a Logger, Um, not to toot our own horn on the Puget Sound podcast, but we do these uh, every week and we spent a long time preparing them. And it's been interesting to see the difference in engagement um, and how just being on a Zoom, even turning your camera on or off makes such a difference in the engagement that you can have or uh, typing a question versus actually asking a question. Um, it's a whole another level of engagement um, that's been interesting to see and how much farther the the conversation can go when people actually are speaking to each other rather than typing to each other. Um, So that's been then an interesting thing that has then also transitioned into classes of, I think, uh, the more effective learning environments that I've been a part of have been the ones where the professors have said, you know what, it's tough, but camera's got to be on the microphone's got to be on as much as you want to be able to kind of check out in an online learning environment if everyone really does give it their all and tunes into the class with their full attention it can be uh, a very successful learning environment um, which again transcends into admissions and into work in any any part of life What do bakeries, industrial design, waterproof notebook paper, and investment management for cryptocurrencies have to do with each other? Hi, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. All four of the things I listed are businesses that were founded by entrepreneurial Puget Sound alums, and you can find out more at pugetsound.edu stories. Now back to PS, the Puget Sound podcast.
0: A business leadership major, there's a certain amount of foresight and planning that's required from you back in the college application process that is not necessarily the case for most of our majors on campus. So listeners may or may not know, the vast majority of majors at Puget Sound do not require that you apply directly to them. You apply to the university, you're admitted to the university, and then you can select your major. So one big difference from, um, many larger, often state flagship schools that folks might be familiar with, the sort of an example college. A couple of exceptions are the School of Music and the Business Leadership Program, which I'll let you describe what the BLP is, but both of those programs require an application to the program, um, as does the Honors Program, prior to a student's arrival on campus. What initially drew you to the BLP? How did you know as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, this is something I think I want
1: to do. Yeah. So at the beginning of my college search, um, I was part of a small private high school um, with a really strong sense of community, and that's something that I really wanted to retain. I say that I wanted to retain that, but I was applying to large state schools, smaller private institutions, ones in the middle. So I was applying all over the place. But at the end of the day. I was more attracted to the smaller smaller liberal arts environment. Um, And as I was touring and researching all these different schools, um, I was very hard-pressed to find a small liberal arts college that offered a full business program, let alone an honors business program. A lot of these schools will have pretty amazing econ degrees, which is kind of as close as you'll get. Um, And I put it in my mind that... I did not wanna do econ whatsoever. I had no interest in doing the math and learned the graphs. It's, nothing about it was appealing to me. Um, and so with that, I wanted to study business. And so coming to Puget Sound, I learned more about the business program and that they had this amazing honors program that really gave you a good scope of what business is. So you'll take leadership focused class, you'll take a marketing class, you'll take a finance class. Um, but before all that, the first class you ever take is an econ class. <laughs> so I walked into Econ 101. I was like, "Man, I'm here to study business, not econ." And uh, walk in, and I had Professor Kate Sterling was assigned to our uh, BLP cohort. So 25 students are admitted each year, and that year is considered your cohort. And each semester, you'll take one cohort class. So our first cohort class, Econ 101, absolutely dreading it. I don't want to learn econ, and Kate blew me away. It was so fascinating. She was so engaging um, that within the first month, I had declared my econ double major because I was just completely fell in love with it. So it's a bit ironic that I uh, came into the BLP uh, out of dread for econ and came out of it with an econ degree on top of my uh, business degree. But um, yeah, like I said, just having an honors business program at a small liberal arts uh, institutions uh, pretty amazing, and it's also really beneficial with our location. So we're just right outside of Seattle, down here in Tacoma. And uh, one of the big parts of the business leadership program is that your sophomore year, you will get paired with a local mentor. So you fill out this big survey of uh, what you're interested in in terms of your career, what sort of hobbies you have, uh, throw us your dream job, all those types of questions. Um, And then the director of the program will go through the vast alumni network and pair you off with someone. And so I was fortunate enough to be paired uh, with someone who worked at Russell Investments, which is a large private equity firm based out of Seattle. Um, And so with that relationship, I was able to get to know my mentor really well and uh, had the amazing opportunity to go up and tour Russell Investments with him. And he um, put me through what he calls the gauntlet of interviews. So it was uh, six informational interviews back to back to back to back 30 minutes each uh over the course of one afternoon at russell investments um and my mentor told me he's like this is going to be one of the hardest things that you do but you will never be nervous for another career again or for another interview again excuse me um and he was completely right um it was so hard so stressful but by the end it just felt like such a natural conversation to be having with these Um, different people at the company, that it really wasn't feeling like an interview rather than just a conversation of, let me get to know what you do in this industry, um, which was really rewarding. And so getting that one-on-one personal care um, with the business degree was really what drew me to it. Um, And it's definitely the number one thing that we like to advertise with this program, because you really can't beat being part of just 25 students receiving this degree each uh, year. So
0: did you have that interest in investments prior to arriving on campus or was that something that came from a business class or from the investment club and you sort of figured out that's where you wanted to go?
1: I've always been interested in in finance and investments. Um, I think one of my biggest complaints actually with the program is that you don't take any finance classes until your first semester junior year. Um, so if you want to get engaged with finance, it's really on you. Um, and that's by reaching out to the investment club, uh, which I've been a member of now for three years. I really joined in my, my sophomore year. Um, but once you're a member of that, um, you quickly learn of the sort of smaller finance community that exists within the business program as a whole. We consider ourselves the unofficial uh, finance majors of Puget Sound um, just because we don't have an official finance degree, but we take every single finance class and do every finance activity that exists. Um, So although you can't access it fully until your junior year, um, if you're self-motivated, then you can find those outlets. And I think finding things like the investment club gets you then very motivated and excited to take those junior level classes, which I think was really fun and rewarding. And now, as a senior, I am in uh, two of those uh, like very hardcore finance classes, and I'll be taking the investments thesis with Professor Linda Livingston uh, next semester, which she uh, works to make the most difficult class at this university, uh, direct quote from her, so that'll be a fun one. Um, but yeah, with Investment Club, uh, I can explain a little bit about how that works. It's We were initially given $100,000 of the university's endowment um, in the Pros to Acra Fund. Um, and that uh, was given to us under the guidelines that we uh, invest it in any U.S. equities that we want. Um, and they just have to be long-term holds that we have for the club. Um, what does that mean? So basically, any... Uh, U.S. company on the U.S. stock exchange. Um, we are allowed to invest in. Um, so we go through this process of once a, cl- a person becomes an official member, meaning they've um, come to three club meetings in a row, then they're actually allowed to give a formal stock presentation or stock pitch, as we call it. So you prepare a full written report, you do full PowerPoint presentation, and you come and bring it to the club. Um, and you talk for about 30 minutes. Um, talking about details of what that company actually does, talk a little bit about their financials. And then we debate the company for probably another 30 minutes. Um, And at the end we vote on it. And then it's as simple as turning in a a piece of paper to the finance office that then allows the club to purchase shares of that company, which was pretty incredible because it's not often that uh, a bunch of college freshmen are given a hundred thousand dollars to go and play with. Um, And we have since, Last month, uh, I think our portfolio is currently sitting at $165,000. So we've run it pretty well. Um, But then there's other side parts of that that really introduce you to the finance community at Puget Sound. So we have faculty advisors who are very invested in the club. Um, we get to meet with the uh, outsourced CIO, the chief investment officer of the entire university. We meet with him uh, once a semester. Um, we do a full written and oral report to uh, the entire board of trustees, uh, investment committee and the investment subcommittees that exist there. Um, so you really get to be hands-on with the, uh, finance without having even taken any finance classes Um, and to get to learn then also from the upperclassmen that are involved with the club, the executive team members, and the information and sort of the wisdom that they pass down on what classes are best to take. um, It really builds a strong community around finance, which is just great.
0: For people who um, are maybe like me and have knowledge about investing that's like really pretty superficial... What, what are you looking for when you assess a stock, either if you're going to put together a pitch to the investment club about a company or about a proposed buy, or if you're listening to somebody else's, what are some of the features that you look for to think, yeah, this seems like a good idea, or no, I think I want to back off this?
1: Yeah, well, there are entire semester-long classes devoted <laughs> to answering that question that I'm currently in. Um, and you have about a
0: a half, Julian. So get ready. <laughs> Buckle up.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, a great question that I wish I had the perfect answer to. Um, but I think it's really, well, honestly, you could look at it from the admissions angle. It's a holistic process, as they like to say in the admissions world. Um, so you're going to be looking at every angle of the company. So you're going to be obviously combing through all their financials just to see what they're history has been like. How long have they been publicly trading? Um, What are big moves that they've made in terms of how have they raised capital? Have they raised capital through debt, or have they raised capital through private equity, things like that, Um, because that gives you a sense of um, how liquid the company is and whether they can afford to dump more money into R&D, or if we come across tough times like we have in the past couple months, whether they'll be able to stay afloat through all that. Um, So debt is a big thing that we like to look at. Um, But then uh, I think bigger picture, um, this is considered a top-down method. So you're going to be looking at, you're going to take a look at your portfolio and you're going to see what percent is allocated to each sector. So there can be things, you can be invested in different technologies, you can be invested in different medical companies, things like that. And you're going to figure out All right, what sector are we interested in? And then from there, what companies exist within that sector and which ones stand out from each other? Um, So when we were uh, looking to get into telecommunications, we were looking at both uh, AT&T and I believe it was Verizon was the other one we were looking at. And these companies had similar financials, similar stakes in the industry. Um, And so we decided to pitch them against each other. And so we had a pitch where we had two club members uh, create a PowerPoint presentation together. And on each slide about each topic they're talking about, they had one for AT&T and one for Verizon. And so that was an example of the top down. We knew that we wanted to get more into telecommunications because we have a lot in just sort of software and technology Microsoft things like that and so to then diversify the portfolio we wanted to reach into telecommunications and we started from top down other cases sometimes um, this would be a, a bottom-up strategy um, where we will be listening to podcasts or reading articles motley fool is a very common uh, finance geek podcast talking about the market and up-and-coming companies and so we'll often look at their watch list and, and see what they're looking at. And so we found this one company, uh, Axon Enterprises, and um, we we're looking into what they do. And we were just looking through the financials and we realized that they had zero debt. debt—not They didn't owe a single dollar to anyone. And so based on that alone, we felt pretty confident in putting some money into them because that means all their money is just going into growing and that their growing won't really stop anytime soon because they're not owing money to anyone. Um, So that is kind of the two ways that we look at it. But as I said, there's so much more to that uh, question and answer. Um, So I'm right now taking a a class called valuation. And we're going to spend the entire semester coming through the financials of one company and doing uh, financial forecasting and modeling five years into the future. So we're going to predict how much money this company is going to make five years in the future, how much stock of one product they might have five years in the future. So you can get extremely technical with it, or you can just go online and say, oh, wow, Tesla is really popular and they're up 150% in the last year. So I'll buy in on that. So it can be as difficult as financial modeling, or it can be as simple as looking at the trends and just doing market timing.
0: Julian, when you look back, at your time on Puget Sound so far, and I know you're not at the end of your senior year. So forgive me for asking like a big concluding question. What stands out to you as a a defining feature when you think about, you know, my college experience really would not have been the same if it weren't for blank. And maybe there's a couple of things that could fit in that blank. What stands out to you?
1: Um, I think it has to be the people around me whether it be people from the investment club, people from my Greek house that I'm involved with people that are in the business leadership program that I lived with my freshman year and who I'm still living with to this day uh, in my off-campus house here. Um, I think it's really the people that have made the difference education. No matter where you go, you're going to learn mostly the same thing if you're in finance I hope you're going to be taking the standard set of classes that is really required of any person that is going to walk up to someone and say, I have studied finance. You need to know these certain things. Um, Same with, if you're going to be in in chemistry or any science, you need to get that base knowledge that to an extent any university can provide, but I think it's the environment and the people that they surround you with that really makes the difference. Um, And so being able to just, pursue the passions that I wanted to pursue. This is going to get very cheesy and corny. I promise this is hand on heart. Um, But yeah, being surrounded with the people that will be invested when you succeed, but also invested in you when you fail um, and invested in you during these four years and beyond, um, I think is borderline priceless to have these opportunities. Um, And I think definitely got a lot of nostalgia in that with when coronavirus did hit and we were all sent home. And I was so fortunate that, of course, my parents accepted me with open arms and I got to spend uh, an amazing time at home. I was there for about two or three months um, and I really enjoyed that time, but it also really showed me how much I do value the friendships that I've uh, cultivated here and how important it is to me to be surrounded by those people, especially in a learning environment. working on group projects with them, uh, just throwing back ideas back and forth on the investment club and and figuring out how we can sort of build a, a stronger club into the future. Um, I think just that all relies on having a strong network of friends and mentors and professors surrounding you. So uh, I really will be holding the friendships very close uh, to me after I leave this place, which is sad to be leaving, but I know that the friendships will will live on.
0: How would you characterize kind of that general Puget Sound community ethos or the vibe, for lack of a better word? When I think about admission and admission in the virtual space, as we've been talking about, that's one of the things that really stands out to me as a loss for not being able to come to campus, is that you might get to know one person, your tour guide, get a real sense for who they are, but you kind of lose some of the cumulative, like, I'm going to sit in the coffee shop and just sort of feel how people are treating each other. So I'm going to ask you to shoulder the burden of trying to fill in some of that space. But when you think about like, what is it about the community? What is shared among a lot of otherwise really diverse people at Puget Sound? Does it feel like there's a a connecting thread?
1: Yeah, I think there's a consistent drive to push each other forward and push each other up. I Honestly, can't think of a time when I've seen other people try to push each other down in any way. I think that's a very high school mentality of of the way you get to the top is by pushing those around you down. Whereas here, people are really lifting each other up. Um, And I mean, that's a really great point with when you come here on a tour. I think one of my favorite parts of giving a tour is when you're uh, giving a tour between classes and suddenly all the doors swing open and there's thousands of people walking not that yeah thousands of people walking around um and like every five steps someone will be saying hi to me it's not just because i'm giving a tour it's because they see me and i see them and that's how people connect is just by saying hello to each other walking through, through between classes um people just sprinting up and giving you a high five as you're as you're walking around it it does give you that sort of stereotypical college bro vibe uh, a bit but To see that happen between everyone and to see that diverse group of students all go about their day that same way and all be building those relationships in a similar manner, um, I think is really impressive to see and uh, I think kind of answers the vibe question uh, that you posed there. Um, And I think also, so I was involved with residence life for two years. My sophomore year, I was uh, an RA to the Business Leadership Program students living on the second floor of Todd Fibs. And... TP2 is notorious outright on campus just because it somehow becomes the most socially vibrant place on campus. Um, And so having lived there and been a part of that my freshman year and being a part of making TP2 the sort of the place it's known to be of everyone constantly hanging out in the hallways and getting to know each other, um, to them being the RA and trying to sort of cultivate the environment. And I was kind of stressed about taking on that burden of how do I retain what TP2 has been built up to always be? How do I make it a socially open and socially welcoming place? And I realized that Puget Sound students don't need an RA to do that. They do it on their own. I walk in on day one and half of my floor was all just sitting on the floor halfway, all the way across the hallway. Um, and they're all just talking about how their day was, whether they're excited or nervous for the first day, how they can help each other. If they all want to get meals together, if they all want to walk to class together, because they're all going to get lost. And so just seeing those immediate connections being built, but being built around the basis of supporting each other blew my mind and it made my job so easy. And it was wonderful to see that. Um, and then my junior year, I was a RCC or resident community coordinator living in uh, Thomas hall. And Thomas Hall is meant to be independent living. So there's uh, nine to 13 single rooms and then shared bathrooms in a big kitchen, living room, dining room, things like that. But it's meant for independent living, people that like to keep to themselves. So I was curious, how does it go from being the most social floor to then what is meant to be the more quiet space where people like to keep to themselves? Well, the quiet space where people keep to themselves first night walk in, everyone sitting around the kitchen table, having made dinner and hanging out. Um, And it stayed like that throughout the entire semester. And again, it was people supporting each other. You know, I felt comfortable. I was supposed to be the resource to them, but I felt comfortable walking to my flat saying, oh, you know, I kind of had a bad day. Uh, Just hard tests, hard classes, um, and they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, how can I help you? Even though it's my job to be saying that to them, um, it really gives you a feel for what students are like here.
0: Julian, we end every episode of the podcast by asking everybody the same four questions. Question one is, where is your favorite place on campus?
1: my favorite place on campus would have to be there is this uh spot right outside of thomas hall where i lived last year it's this beautiful perfect circle of grass that students have come to know as the alien landing pad um and i've spent quite a few hours there um playing frisbee with friends playing spike ball with friends or just laying there in the sun we have uh a blp barbecue happens there every year um and so it's just a very unique grass green space there um that i don't know i'm just going to appreciate it and i love spending time there
0: second question is what are you reading right now
1: i am currently reading just started reading a couple days ago a, a a random walk down wall street um it's this book that is sort of a must-read of any person involved in finance. And my uh, my my best friend, who's in my my finance classes, um, has read it many times now, actually. And uh, I'll be in class with him, and probably multiple times a class, he'll be listening to what our professor is saying and be like, "Oh, that's a reference from a random walk down Wall Street," or "That's a joke from this." And so there's just so many references constantly being spewed from it that I thought it was finally time that I get. Uh, around to reading it. So that's what I just started reading.
0: What's the best place to eat in Tacoma?
1: My favorite place to eat is this little place uh, called Tacos Guaymas. Um, It's uh, a few miles away um, and they just have the greatest burritos. And uh, last semester or two semesters ago during the fall, um, every Sunday, my friend and I would get ready to Watch the Packers game, and we would go and get burritos from Tacos Guaymas, and then go back to my room and watch the game. And that was just kind of our, our Sunday tradition.
0: Julian, big question to bring us home: Why is Puget Sound
1: special? You know, I spent a lot of time talking about Puget Sound during this, and I think I'll bring it back again to the people, the professors, the your classmates, the alumni, the trustees. They all bring the same sense of dedication to not just the institution that is Puget Sound, but the students that are currently here. As much as they want to prepare for the students of the future, they're not disregarding the current students um, in any way. And they will always be so open to hear from students either with complaints or recommendations or with uh, compliments about what they've been doing for the institution. And having started the process of networking uh, to for my future career, Um, Just going through LinkedIn and seeing graduates of Puget Sound and being able to just drop them a message on LinkedIn and get an immediate response. So open, call me anytime you need. Let me know how I can help um, is is a really heartwarming thing to see. So, yeah.
0: Julian Beganski, thank you so much for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me.
0: for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at univ, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound podcast.